Unlocking Your World of Creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Mark introduces you to some of the world's leading creative talent from publishing, film, music, restaurants, medical research, and more. You'll discover how to tap into your most original thinking, how to organize your ideas, and most of all, how to make the connections and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity. Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And if you've ever thought to yourself, hey, I'm creative, I'm ambitious, I'm talented, I'm ready to take my career to the next level, you thought, what are some steps I could take? Well, our guest today is going to enlighten us on some of those ideas. So glad to have Ed Everts. Ed, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mark. Thrilled to be here. Ed's book is Drive Your Career. You know, and I love that title, Ed, because it kind of counterbalances the, hey, I'm good enough. I'm sure I'll be recognized. I'm sure everything will go fine. But no, I guess we have to take the controls, don't we? A lot of people operate a leaf that as long as they do a good job, they will get recognized and their career will continue to grow and grow and grow. And in reality, there's a number of things that you need to do in order to be successful. And the subheading of the book is the nine things you need to do to take responsibility for your own success, right? The emphasis uh, is on you and the things you need to do in order to be more successful. Yeah. And I, I think that taking 100% responsibility is tough sometimes. We're thinking we are doing a good job. We should have the spotlight put on us and get promoted, get that raise and get that recognition we deserve, right? Well, people think that because I know I'm doing a good job, that it must be obvious to everyone. And unfortunately, all those people have their own jobs and are working hard to be successful and they don't have enough time to unilaterally spend watching you and observing all your successes when they're attempting to work on their own successes. So you do have to take responsibility for your own success. You want to be transparent with the things you do well and honest and candid with the things that you could have done differently and continue to grow and evolve as a leader and a contributor at your organization. And I guess a lot of times we think about, well, I got to get the boss's eyes, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? Well, there is, you know, interestingly, my first chapter in Drive Your Career is about ensuring, amongst other things, that you have a positive relationship with your boss. And, you know, I ask people when I do this as a workshop, how many people on a scale of one to six, one being my relationship with my boss is horrible, and six, we finish each other's sentences and go to lunch every day, you know, where would you put your relationship? And a surprising number of people put it at a four or lower. And I think anybody who is at four or lower they need to be doing something, not their boss, but they need to be doing things to understand why it's that way and what they could be doing differently in order to improve it. Because if you don't have a good relationship with your boss, the growth and development of your career is going to be significantly negatively impacted. And what about those who might be listening that, quote, are the boss? Should they be trying to cultivate that relationship too, especially with their most creative and their best people? Well, this is why we're talking, Mark, because we both understand that not not everybody is the employee, but some people are the boss. <laughs> and so I actually address that in chapter one, which is what if I am the boss, right? So I'm reading this chapter about how I should have a good relationship and it's me. So, you know, bosses need to ensure that they are creating a culture and environment where they recognize that people are attempting to get along with them. And they want to ensure that they are reciprocating that relationship and providing space for people to be able to do that. So it's not a one-sided relationship where everybody's coveting and trying to have a great relationship with the boss and the boss isn't returning it. It needs to be a two-way relationship where I'm being honest and candid with you 
and you're being honest and candid with me. And that helps our relationship grow. And I know one topic you address is empathy. And uh, yeah, more and more is being talked about with, you know, creating true, authentic relationships and all. And I can speak for myself, even as the latter climbing employee, I didn't exhibit a lot of empathy. And I know for a fact that being the hard driving goal oriented boss slash leader slash entrepreneur, you know, business person, I know I didn't always lead with empathy. What can you shed some light on that? Well, empathy is a growing leadership behavior. And I would tell all of our listeners that being empathetic is a significant strategic effort. It's not some soft skill that you only do to somebody who seems to be having a bad day, but it's a leadership skill that you utilize to build relationships, to build engagement, because the closer people feel to you as a leader and the more engaged they are in what's going on at the organization, the harder they're going to work to help you make it happen. So, you know, for me, empathy is all about ensuring that I understand the world from your perspective, wherever that perspective might be, and not my own perspective. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to think that your perspective is correct, but I want to ensure that you understand that I feel for what you are experiencing and recognize it and want to help you in any way that I can. Bosses who demonstrate empathy are way more approachable, way have way better relationships with colleagues versus bosses who are not approachable, who are seen as distant, disconnected, and don't really care about people, even if they do, that, that's the impact that people have. Mm -hmm. Well, Ed, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up that phrase, soft skills, because I ha had another business colleague who was like, boy, this is a much derided term only because it sounds so mushy and soft skills, too much emotion in it. Gosh, Ed, what about those KPIs? You know, what about the quarterly report? I got to get out. What about the pitch we got to do tomorrow? Let's get on. on. <laughs> well, you know, we're not asking that people be empathetic all the time to the extent that it derides or dismisses the key business needs of an organization, but it is a growing behavior. And I think as time evolves and as we move away from kind of the classic IBM model where everyone wore a suit and every senior vice president started in the mailroom and everyone's in there like 50 years. You know, we live in a much more fluid, ever-changing, ever-growing environment. And we need to ensure that the asset that we recognize is critical to an organization are people. And we have to be empathetic to people because people are complex. And, you know, lots of leaders also joke, you know, this project would be easy to do if it wasn't for all these people. You know, people just <laughs> make it hard. And, sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we need to kind of diminish that perspective and ensure that when an opportunity to be empathetic arises, that you seize it and use it. It doesn't mean that you have to be empathetic all the time. Now, Ed, uh, I have a sense that this book is not just filled with principles and lofty uh, soft skills, as we say. You, you run a business. You coach a lot of other people who run businesses. What, what are their real life stories? How do they apply this stuff? Well, I just want to make a quick comment, if I can, Mark, about soft skill. Yes. Uh, you know, if I was ruler of the world, I would flip it to make it hard skill, because this is why people like you and I are around. People did not go to junior high, high school and college learning how to navigate conflict. They didn't learn how to be braver. They didn't learn how to show empathy. They learned the what they needed to do, accounting, finance, law, uh, medicine, et cetera, but not how to do it. And to me, it's a hard skill. It's hard to show empathy. It's hard to be emotional. It's hard to do a lot of the things that we need to do in order to be successful. So Drive Your Career, the nine stories I tell in the book, 
are actually based on actual experiences with clients over my last 15 years as a leadership coach. And, you know, about 12 or 13 years ago, I was thinking about what my second book would be. And I think I probably had one of those shower moments where I said, you know, there seem to be stories that come up with each of my clients, whether they're a president or a supervisor, again and again and again. I don't bring them up purposefully, but they just fit their situation. And, you know, 85% of my clients would probably tell you they wish they had a better relationship with their boss. It's not horrible in all cases, but they wish it was better. And I'd say, well, what have you done lately to ensure that you have a great relationship with their boss? And they'd be like, uh, nothing, <laughs> right? Okay, so maybe this is an area of opportunity for you that we need to work on. So, you know, these are all real stories. The names have been changed, of course, to protect the guilty, but these are all real stories based on conversations that I've had with clients over the last 15 years that they need to do a little bit differently than they're doing today in order to continue to grow. And hence, as I like to say, drive your career, right? Don't be a passenger wondering, how did I get here? And why am I doing what I'm doing? But where do I wanna go? What do I wanna be? And what steps do I have to take in order to get there? So good. Well, let's use that shower moment maybe as a launching pad into how you created the book itself. I think, you know, our listeners are always interested in the creative process, especially writing your own book. So after you had the aha moment, you said, where, where do I go from here? Well, my first aha was uh, whatever I do with my second book, I don't want to do what I did with my first book. <laughs> That's right. Let's learn from that. So, uh, you know, my first book, Raise Your Visibility and Value, uh, the publisher that I utilized was really more of a print shop. And when I sent them my first draft of the book that they kind of then put in book form, because I sent it to them as a Word document, and then they put it in book form, they created more editable problems by doing that than I sent them. So I had to go through the book again with my editor. And at this point, we were so tired of reading the book, mm -hmm. we had to read it again and identify all of the new edits that they had incorrectly done. So I decided for my second book, that I wanted to self-publish. And I was reading a blog by a colleague who identified a firm in Vancouver, Canada, who helped you self-publish. They edited your book. They did the graphics for your book. I mean, they basically created the book with you as if they're sitting there right next to you. And you know, for me, I really needed an accountability partner because I think one of the key challenges an author is impacted by if in fact they actually have a business and they're also attempting to write the book is business, right? They constantly get interrupted or they get lazy or they get distracted or there's a vacation or there's a problem, right? There's always something that puts you off. And I needed someone with whom I could create a project plan who said, you know, here's the date we need chapter one. Here's the date we need chapter two. And I worked almost perfectly to hit those dates. So, you know, I would tell you for those that are thinking about writing a book, finding an accountability partner, and it could be a spouse, it could be a next door neighbor, it could be your best friend, but somebody whom you create a very simple project plan and give yourself extra time. Don't say I'm going to create chapter one by Friday, but, you know, take a couple of months, but ensure that that person holds you to it. And if you miss it resets, but ensures that you get it done because many people out there have many great stories and many great experiences, but they just can't get it done. And so none of us have the benefit of learning and reading from them because they don't finish the product. Very good point. And then it's been just about a year, more or less. What has been your marketing approach or how have you gotten the word out about the book? Well, I uh, did a few things. So first off, I held a book launch 
for my first book, it was in person. You remember those days where we actually could meet people in person? At oh, yeah, yeah. It's coming back to me now. Yes. You know, shake hands and <laughs> hug and say hi. Uh, I couldn't do that for my second book. So we did a virtual book launch, which was fantastic. So we hosted a virtual book launch. So that was number one, right? I wanted to create some notoriety around uh, the book coming out. I then also have a social media person who I pay on an hourly basis to just do social media work for me. And she ensured prior to the book's publication that we put out snippets of the book in advance, a little page, a little quote, whatever from the book. Uh, and we did that on very basic social media platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, my website, uh, excelius.com, et cetera. So we did that on a recurring basis. And that's also an important point too, Mark, which is if you decide you're gonna do something, regardless of how frequently you do it, make sure you do it recurringly. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it weekly, do it every week and don't give up. If you're gonna do it monthly, once a month, do it once a month and don't give up. You know, one of the things I always look at when I look at somebody's website is if they say they have a blog, I click on the blog tab just to see if they're staying current, you know, and I would tell you probably, and I'm not a statistician. And it's a, like it, it says it, August, 2019, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 75% of them either have a construction sign saying under development or yeah, the last post is two or three years ago. And to me as a buyer, you know, that tells me that the business perspective of that person is stagnant. It's just, the re it's just a reaction I have, right. I'm not making that guess, but it's just, Oh, Maybe they're not in business any longer or, you know, why aren't they doing this? So uh, it's very important that you do it recurrently. So we did things recurrently on that front. You know, I never projected I would be, you know, on Oprah's book club. Mm -hmm. So for my purposes, the book is really more about utilizing it for workshops, uh, sending it as gifts to clients, referencing it in conversations with people like yourself. Of course, you can buy it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, et cetera. But, you know, for me, it's really more about maintaining my visibility in the marketplace with the ideas and experiences that I'm having so people know that I'm in it, right? That the work that I do is active, is current, and is ever-changing and ever-evolving to be applicable in today's workplace. And in addition to the stories in the book, you're able to share some stories regularly on your podcast. I love the name, Be Brave at Work. What sort of stories are you hearing there? Oh, endless numbers of stories. And what a real fascinating topic this is. And we started that in December of 2019. And just a quick story, I met with a colleague who I had not seen in 20 years. So he and I used to work at a retailer and saw each other on LinkedIn repeatedly. And finally, one of us said, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. So we went and grabbed a cup of coffee and he was in communications. And I asked him what he was doing. And he said, oh, well, today I'm writing, but I'm also starting a podcast production company. And I said something innocent like, oh, I've always wanted to do a podcast. And he said, you're in, let's do it. You know, Ed, what would you like to talk about? And I said, you know, the number one thing that I think about a lot is the need for people to be brave at work. He said, I love it. Let's do it. So I'm simplifying, but it was almost that simple, right? Yes. So he helped me get started and understand the technology and how to make it happen. And so today, I, and from my perspective, laughingly have had 165 conversations I never thought I'd get past like 50. Mm -hmm. And I think as you're experiencing, 95% of my guests come to me. So I'm not reaching out as I was when I first started. When I first started, I was reaching out to people and saying, hey, would you like to be a guest? Would you like to be a guest? And most people said yes. And we had these conversations. And then probably about six to eight months in, I started to get emails from people 
saying, hey, I'd love this person to be a guest on your show. You know, typically they're an author of a book or they're a professor or a teacher. You know, they've got something that they want to talk about. But uh, and lessons we learned just to quickly wrap up are how to be braver at work. You know, I want to ensure that people who listen hear one or two lessons that they can use in order to say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done. All of us have had experiences where we could be braver at work. And as I said earlier, I'm not a statistician, so I've not studied that, but I can say with almost complete confidence <laughs> based on my experiences and my client's experience that all of us have had opportunities where it would have benefited us if we were braver at work. And for a number of reasons, we just didn't do it. And it's interesting, the overlap, we've been talking about driving your own career. Sometimes that does mean to be brave, but uh, what an interesting sort of double bravery. You know, I, I want to tell a story about when I was brave at work and I want to be brave enough to go on a podcast and tell that story, you know, so that more people know about it. Sometimes we like to be brave quietly, don't we? We do. You know, people don't go around uh, waving a flag saying about all the th great things that they did today. I think we sometimes don't do that enough. I'm not suggesting you toot your own horn constantly, but your boss needs to know about things that are going well because they're going to get asked what's going well and you want them to have a good answer. But uh, yeah, to your point, right? It takes some bravery to be on the podcast and talk about yourself. And I love the stories as much as I love hearing about what you have done to be brave. And I think all of us can think about those examples. I love when people share what they didn't do and the opportunity they did not take and why they did not take it where they were not brave, right? I think we almost can learn more about why you didn't do something that was so obvious to do and so important to do, but you just didn't take the risk and the chance to do it. And to me, that's a little deeper and more meaningful for our listeners. Well, Ed, as we think about driving our careers, obviously the world of work is changing. How do we apply some of these overall principles in this, you know, remote? There's no more like meeting at the water cooler, maybe, uh, you know, in the foreseeable future anyway. How do we apply some of this to a virtual work world? Well, you know, one of the things I love about the topics and in all candor, I did not write it with a pandemic in mind. In mm -hmm. fact, I think I, it was published, right? It, it was published during the pandemic, but I didn't write it with the pandemic in mind. Cool. But one of the things I love is that all nine behaviors or actions are completely doable virtually as well as in person. So don't let the fact that we are now virtual diminish your ability to drive your career. Sometimes it's a little bit harder. So for example, if I want to ensure that I'm meeting with my boss once a month for a half hour, uh, sometimes it feels a little harder to reach out virtually, or sometimes the conversation may be a little bit harder, but don't let that diminish the need in order to ensure that you have a positive relationship with your boss. If you want to ensure that you understand the hand you've been dealt with, which is another chapter where we talk about, you know, the situation you're in, good, bad, or indifferent, and what you now need to do about it, that's going to be true, whether you're virtual or not. Uh, you know, an, an interesting twist is that a number of my clients are people who have been hired at a company and they have not met one person. Mm -hmm. They've talked to them virtually, but they've never been to their office and they have never physically met one person. And so we're trying to figure out how to ensure they have a positive relationship with their boss, that they you know, do uh, can show empathy virtually and all these types of things. So I believe they're all doable. It's just taking action, Mark, to ensure that you move it from idea to action. And that's where most leaders drop the ball. 
Google today provides us millions of answers, right? Millions of ideas on how to do things. Moving it to action and taking that action is where the energy should be and where most people should be focusing their time. Uh, it's so good to hear because, you know, and, and plus you're talking about it again on the boss's side, but think of all the companies who've tried to scale, hire, train, integrate, you know, teams uh, in a virtual world. How many bosses have never even met the employees they've hired, you know, face to face yeah. other than and, uh, over a teleconference? I'm actually co-hosting a uh, team meeting this Thursday, Friday. And this is the, and then I'm doing another team meeting in early October for both of these meetings. This is the first time all of them are meeting in person ever. Okay. Now, some of them met in person previously, but players have changed. And so this current team are now some folks that have been there for a while and some new people. So none of them have all met together. And that's significant, right? Even though they've been on Zoom calls and talking and they've seen each other, you know, there is just something a little bit different when you meet somebody in person. And so, uh, you know, I'm certainly hoping they're going to like each other. It's exactly. Person, as much as they like each other virtually. Yes. Well, what a terrific conversation. Ed, let us know how to connect with you and follow your work. People can go to my website, which is excellius.com, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-U-S.com. And uh, byproducts of my work, coaching that I do, the team coaching, the two books I've written, the podcast, you can connect to all of them and find out anything you ever wanted to know about Excellius and Ed Everts. Fantastic. And Ed's book is Drive Your Career, uh, really taking the steering wheel and taking control of your own uh, career and really your own creative life. Just wonderful to have those stories. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. And as you think about, as we close, Ed, leave, leave us with a tip that we said, you know, if we really want to go from idea to action today uh, and do one thing. What's something we could do today to drive our career? You know, I would identify over the next quarter, two or three people, it could be a peer, it could be a subordinate, even better, it could be your boss, and ask them a question, which is what's one or two things I could do differently to be more effective? Everybody can do something differently to be more effective. Some people may need to think about it and that's okay. But if you want to have better relationships and you want to ensure that people are giving you feedback that's helpful, you have to ask for it. And so I would encourage all our listeners to find not many, two or three people over the next quarter and ask them what's one or two things I could do differently to be more effective and then listen to that information and take action on that. Mm -hmm. That's a good tip. And even for entrepreneurs, let's ask the clients, let's ask the customers. Uh, let's make this a two-way street. I love that. Well, my guest has been Ed Everts the author of Drive Your Career and the head and the founder of a great uh, leadership coaching organization called Excellius. So thanks again, Ed, for being on the show. Thank you, Mark. And listeners, be sure to come back again next time. Today, we stamped our creative passport in Boston and went up the road to Wakefield, Mass. Uh, we're going to continue our virtual around-the-world travels to talk to creative practitioners, authors, musicians, restaurateurs, everybody in the creative arts in some way about how they get inspired and how they organize their ideas and most of all, how they gain the confidence and make the connections to get their work up and out into the world. And that's what our podcast is all about. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we've been unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you next time. Unlocking your world of creativity with bestselling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. 
This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking the World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Our podcast is supported by Adobe and the Adobe Creative Cloud, the world's best creative app and services. So you can make almost anything you can imagine wherever you're inspired. We use Adobe to help make this podcast using Audition, Premiere Rush, InDesign, and more. So join the creative community with the Adobe Creative Cloud and let's make something better unlocking your world of creativity.